0: hi everybody
1: i'm scott
0: hello i'm julie and
1: this is a good story is hard to find podcast
0: where two catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lies below the surface oh yeah
1: you know every now and then we do a uh, religious book, um, and this, this is going to be one of those. I mean, this is not a story. I guess it's the story of Vatican II, isn't it?
0: Oh, I guess it is. The story of the aftermath of Vatican II,
1: also. So this book mm-hmm. we're going to talk about today is um, really terrific. Uh, highly recommended. Reclaiming Vatican II, What It Really Said, What It Means, and How It Calls Us to Renew the Church by Father Blake Britton. And it was published just last year, I think.
0: Yes, and I didn't realize this year is the 60th anniversary of Vatican II. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm sure that's why the book came out when it did or maybe why I was thinking about it. But I uh, chose it because I was so struck by the truth <laughs> of mm. what is being revealed through Vatican II, what it really was for what were the attitudes that everybody got out of it and how those are incorrect and how we need to really think of it correctly. And then we can go forward and really, you know, kick some ass for God. That's what I'm saying.
1: (laughs) I like it. Yeah. (laughs) I I, I feel like, yeah, we, we all need to be dealing with the same information. I mean, you know, it seems to be a problem of our modern times where, um, you know, misunderstanding is just not helping us. Um, Mm -hmm. I I think uh, most people, in the Catholic Church, have heard of Vatican II, you know, and and um, gosh, you know, I was thinking about this. It, it was like before really, I started to notice the traditionalist movement. I really hadn't thought much about Vatican II. Um, I was born in 1968, um, so when I was aware, I was born Catholic. I don't have a before and after on that, but I can only imagine having been to a traditional Latin mass before. I can only imagine. How shocking it was to people these changes, (laughs) you know. How some people would have said, "What church am I in?" You know, how did how did this happen? You know,
0: my father-in-law was that way.
1: Okay, Mm -hmm.
0: because he was a daily communicant, wouldn't even eat bean soup on a Friday at the country club because it had a ham bone cooked in it. And um, Vatican II happened, and pretty quickly, you know, the priest is showing up in sandals and just getting jiggy with the whole thing, and he was so upset. He didn't go to, um, you know, one of these very traditionalist groups that popped up, but he just quit going.
2: Mm.
0: And he quit going for decades. I mean, when I converted, he came back. He went to confession and came back.
1: Very good, yeah.
0: Yeah, but that was, you know, a long time. Because I converted into, I came in in 2000.
1: I can only imagine. I mean, do you you remember when they retranslated the mass responses? Mm -hmm. And how small a change that was, you know? I still say the wrong things.
0: Yeah, yeah, thank you. (laughs) Me too. There's some stuff I still cannot get right.
1: But I can only imagine how traumatic that was for people. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because, you know... And also with you, you know what I mean? Um, Instead of in (laughs) with with your your spirit. spirit. That's right.
0: Well, I converted in 2000. I'd never heard of Vatican II. And then I started hearing people kind of talk about Vatican II in terms of it was so awful because we lost a lot of our tradition and it was so great, but no one's doing what they're supposed to do. It should be much more, I don't know, something, something different.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, I loved our church and our church actually has a really good tradition of the way they do the Novus Ordo, which is the regular mass that you're supposed to have in most places. And they still have some Latin in there, just a little. they It's really beautiful. And they've done a really good job of it. Mm-hmm. Right. So I didn't know what they were talking about. I'd go to these other churches and go, what
1: is going on? Oh, I on? can I can imagine. Yeah, in my church, we don't have that. Um, you know, so we, we have a large Latino population, so we do Spanish Mass. And mm-hmm. sometimes we have a joint Mass, you know, like for some occasion where
2: mm-hmm. we
1: might have everybody together, like on a, um, a day of obligation, let's say. And right. um in those masses there's often latin because we both know that yeah <laughs> you know what which i mean if the they point. do the our father in latin we're good you know uh we understand what's being said right there and so that that may that may help me understand a little bit about what the what the point of latin is however i think that most people that i talk to that are going to the traditional latin mass their reason is not the language their reason is that they believe that the Eucharist is not being properly uh, venerated, I would say, during the Mass in our church. And mm. one of the things that you told me um, is that you guys have an altar rail, and yes. we do not. I mean, um, there's we don't have that, you know. And you having uh, you know Eucharistic ministers and uh, uh, the Eucharist on the hand which um, mm. is something that, you know, the uh, traditionalists that I've spoken to, that's why they go to the traditional Latin Mass.
0: It's funny, too, because we do have Eucharistic ministers. You can have on the tongue or in the hand, which I always did on the tongue because that's just what my husband did, and I was afraid I would drop it. And then I was reading Mike Aquilina's book about uh, the Mass of the early church. Mm. They always did it on the hand. Yeah. So the traditionalists are taking something that came up later, it doesn't mean it's not a tradition, but it sure. doesn't mean that the other thing is wrong. But anyway, so, um, yeah, because my deal was I, I'd hear people talking about it, and I finally was like, what is up with this? So I went to the Vatican website and looked around and found the two main documents. So I don't remember the, you know, what, Lumen Lumen, Lumen Genta. Genta. yeah. Yeah, and the, oh gosh, and the sp- And then one that's Gaudium Space or whatever, if that's another main one, I think. Right,
2: yeah.
0: Here's how bad I am at this. (laughs) I I know what they're getting at. So anyway, (laughs) I printed those out and read them. And what I read was actually really good and beautiful. It's kind of like when you sit down to read the catechism and go, oh, Yeah. yeah, this is great. And so I read it and I thought... I don't know what all these people are talking about. <laughs> There's nothing in here about what these conservative people are talking about, nothing in here about what all these progressive people are talking about. So I just ignored all of them mm. and just didn't worry about it. And since our church allows that because of the way it's very faithful. And so the altar rail we have, and because um, we've only had three pastors in the church's entire history, which is from 1949 wow. to now. Yeah. Amazing. Right, and so the first one is the one who got it built, Monsignor Golczynski, and he was a faithful Polish uh, guy from like Pittsburgh or somewhere, and he held on to everything through the transition. Father Biershank came, who was German, came along and was trained up by him, and then now Father LeBone, who's Italian, but um, all of them are American. But you know, they had these strong connections to their heritage,s and they saw what difference it made to the congregation and we have people coming from all over dallas some people drive for half an hour 45 minutes and it's right and and it's not that we're not you know we've got seven masses on the weekend and there's one that's got a lot of latin and some gregorian chant there's one that's like the one i go to which has a beautiful choir and a little latin and but they have something for everyone there's the family mass with the you know just the Singing with no instruments, all the things, but it's all reverent. And so, going to those at different times as I needed to showed me all these things can be done well. It's what's your intention, and the intention in our church, and we'll talk about this, is to be beautiful because beauty is one way you praise God.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's wonderful. Boy, we, yeah, so we live that's... in we live in completely different. <laughs> A thing, you know. So <laughs> right. I, I'm here in um, Logan, Utah. We have um, we actually have two Catholic churches, which is surprising, but we're really under yeah. one one uh, priest. Uh, we we have two priests, but we have one um, pastor, okay. and he's over the both of them. But but one of the churches is at the Newman Center on the Utah State University campus, and that used to be the only church we had. Until 2005, we built the St. Thomas Aquinas Catholic Church, which oh. is where uh, I go. And okay. it's a beautiful, beautiful church. I think, um, you, know, I, I, you know, having been built in 2005, you know, you're thinking, oh, modern and a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't have any it stained it glass in it. Is it round? Oh. It's not round. It's half round. Okay, <laughs> it's beautiful. When I, the, the moment I walked in there, I was like, "Oh, this is ni- nice." I really, I'd love to really see it. I really like it. I really like it. Mm-hmm. Love to show mm-hmm. it to you. Um, but we we have um, a an English mass and a Spanish mass on Saturday night, an English mass and a Spanish mass on Sunday, and then one mass at uh, on Sunday evening at the Newman Center. And, okay. And that's everything for us. Yeah, and they're all the same. I mean, Spanish mass is Spanish mass, but the all three of the English ones are conducted the same.
0: I okay. And ours are all in English other than when they have some Latin included or whatever. But we have the mass I go to is at least half Hispanic, if not more. And all the masses have a lot of Hispanic people because it's just, it's, I'd never even think of it that way. It's just, these are my friends and neighbors and everything. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, you know, uh, a few other groups are starting to come more and more different racial groups and everything. And so it's really nice,
1: um, but yeah. each one
0: is different, like I said, so that you can always find something you want.
1: Yeah. That that's really nice. Um and I don't want to give the impression I mean we have there's there's a bunch of Hispanic people that come to the English mass. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so just so you're aware and the, the Spanish Mass is full as well. But right. so um but yeah. It's, yeah,
0: well they're serving who they need to serve. I mean, right. because Dallas has a Vietnamese Catholic church and maybe more than one.
2: Yeah.
0: And um, and we don't have anything
2: like that. Yeah.
0: yeah there's We're just a not church big
1: enough, yeah.
0: Right. And so in a, a Cliff, which is a predominantly black area, there is a black Catholic church there pretty much, and they'll have a lot of gospely type singings, but it's the regular songs and stuff, you know. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have a lot of, uh, you know, just different types of groups and it's just all tailored, which is what Vatican II intended.
1: Yeah, and I think that's worth, um, but I, I think, you know, everything that we've set up to now is really pertinent because Vatican II is what opened all those things up. But one of the things that surprised right. me as I looked into this and in this book is... Um, The Vatican II did not abolish the Latin Mass. Um, It it absolutely did not. Um, It opened some things up to some vernacular um, for participation reasons, right? You know, so that um, one of the very interesting things that I I read about here is, and I can't remember if it's in this book or not, actually, but um, this idea that um, often people would be saying the rosary at a Latin Mass. I think, I think he did say, yeah, I think he did say he said in this book, okay. Um, but th- yeah, so people, I mean, they would be disconnected enough. I mean, they would be saying there's something of beauty going on in front of me here, but I am not a participant. I am a, an observer. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I'm going to pray the rosary until it's time to have communion. You know what I mean?
0: That's funny, too, because my mom was raised Catholic and she's an atheist and everything right now. But she went a couple times with us at different points and she said, what is all this? You're saying things, they're saying things. Hmm. And I said, oh, well, this is the Psalm reading. This is the whatever. And she said, well, in my day it was like this. And I said, oh, what do you think? And she goes, my way was easier. (laughs) You just sat and listened. You didn't have to really think about it. And I Hmm. thought, oh, well, then this is better because yeah, we at least yeah. have to pay enough attention to know where you are and right. what it's you're a, supposed to do.
1: It's a call and response, right? It's, yeah, it's us. right. It's a participatory event. You know, it's a mm-hmm. prayer and uh, we should be participating. Yeah. yeah. And I think that the, the language barrier uh, prevents some of that, uh, at least for some people, I would say. I would imagine for others, it doesn't. It um, does
0: for me. When yeah. I go to that four o'clock on Saturday and it's a lot of the stuff is in Latin, I know what it should be in English, so mm-hmm. I just kind of don't say anything. And I say it in my head because I don't know how to pronounce any of it. <laughs>
1: Agreed. I mean, they have it's, it written like, down. it's like when they sing the Our Father. I <laughs> yeah. If I don't know the tune, I just say the Our Father. I don't know what to do. Right. You know? So it's like, here's some new piece, piece of music or whatever, so I just say it. I mean, we say it most often, but um, every now and then it's sung. Or if I go to a high mass, you know, like mm-hmm. a, at the cathedral or something, at some special event and... Um, the, everything is sung, you know, um, I'm lost yeah. for that. I can't participate, you know, but I, I can just say the words I can, not but I can't sing what they're doing because I have no idea and I can't read music. So. Right. Yeah.
0: And it's funny cause I have one vivid memory that made me really feel like I was part of the universal church. And this is when we went, took the kids and went to Europe. So around, Uh, 2001, I guess. And we were in a French church just looking at it. And it's the oldest church in Paris and all these things. And so we're looking around, but they started Mass. And they were doing it in French, of course. But all the tunes were the same tunes Hmm. that they used at St. Thomas Aquinas here.
1: Oh, I love it. Yeah.
0: And we were just like, oh, my gosh, we know exactly Hmm. what's happening and the odds of that. Yeah. are so slim I feel like and we just loved it you That's know great. it was great yeah
1: yeah one of the things in RCA that always seems to um have a nice effect on people is when I explain you know when I'm explaining the mass and um we talk about here's the readings you know liturgy of the word and mm-hmm. and I say these readings are done all over the world you know so what we're reading today everybody in the world is doing that if you go home and watch the mass from the Vatican You'll see that it's the same readings that we just did, you know, and that, some that really sinks into people, and and mm-hmm. I love it too. It's just like, yeah, this is the whole world doing the same thing, you know. Love it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And I I don't know enough to say whether that detail came from the Vatican II. I do know that there was a rearrangement of the readings into the three year cycle in Vatican II, I believe, or after Vatican II. How that occurred. I don't know. So, but what we should, we should talk about, you know, what is Vatican II? Right. It's Um, an ecumenical council, right? Yes. So what
0: does that mean?
1: (laughs) What that means is that... Oh, no,
0: that's a question. I don't know the answer
1: Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, what that means is that all the bishops in the world could participate in this and they're all called into council. So, like uh, the very, well, it wasn't the first one, but the Council of Nicaea was an important one, right? As soon as Constantine converted to Christianity, and, and suddenly Christianity was legal and you wouldn't be put to death, um, <laughs> hopefully, um, he was able to call a council because they, they couldn't do it before then in any kind of an official way because, um, you know, they'd probably be killed or something. Um, but anyway, so th- that's an ecumenical council is when, yeah. when all the bishops it, come together and they... Discuss things,
2: you know, and
0: it's usually called, isn't it, for something very important and big. I, that I would say needs to be yes, discussed because the Nicene Council. There was a big heresy happening at the time that mm-hmm. about half the bishops were on board right. with, so they had to get together and, and thrash
1: that out. That's exactly why Constantine yeah. called that together because he's saying. Right. You know, so here he is, a new convert, (laughs) emperor of Rome. And he's like, you guys can't even agree on what the heck you're teaching, you know. So he said, let's get together. And uh, he forced him to kind of hash it out. But I think that it is, you know, um, again, we're not changing doctrine here. It's like a clarification in a right. historical context of something that's happening today that they wouldn't even have thought of in year zero. You know, so it's it has something to do with what is historically happening right now, something that we're dealing with, and um, the church needs to be interpreted um, for, the, for the time.
0: Right, and I know that when I was looking into Vatican II— Actually, it must have been about 10 years ago or whenever it was because I remember reading at the time they said, it takes about 50 years for any council to settle down the reaction to it. Mm. And then you can really get to work and start implementing properly what's going on. And when I read that and I read all these councils, they said this happened and that happened. And it made me feel comforted. I was like, oh. Well, this is normal then. Everybody's acting like it's the only time it's ever happened. The church is going to split up. All the things everyone's complaining about and leaving the church and complaining and all the things. And I went, oh, then I'm not going to worry about that either. This is going to sort sort itself out. And um, so uh, one of the other things that I liked about this, that I enjoy about that sort of thing Reading the history of stuff like that and finding out, oh, it's it's been okay before; it'll be okay again. Is included in this book, where they talk about after the Council of Ephesus in four thirty one. And Ephesus, the only thing I know, I know they settled other things, but the one thing I know is that was when Mary was officially mm-hmm. declared it's she's the Mother of God. We sorted it out theologically, mm-hmm. right? Right. So. Everybody, and then I know that the people of Ephesus streamed through the town with torches, singing and laughing and having a party because they loved it.
1: Because that's what you do.
2: Yep. Well, that's
0: what, <laughs> that should be what you do. Yep. And also, I think didn't Mary live in Ephesus for a while, so therefore they were into Mary a lot. But there was somebody, Saint Vincent of Lorraine. Mm-hmm. Wrote a book explaining the development of dogma and guidelines for council teachings and all these things. And he's describing what happened after Ephesus. And he talks about these theologians who wanted to change everything up and make it modern and get with the people so they could really get into it. And here's my interpretation we should do this. And what he said was it is our duty not to lead religion whither we would, but rather to follow religion whither it leads. And that it is part of Christian modesty and gravity not to hand down our own beliefs or observances to those who come after us, but to preserve and keep what we have received from those who went before us. And then he quotes St. Jerome about the seduction of novelty. And I think we see that in our society Mm. way everywhere now. yeah, we sure do. Right. And then he also, though, wants to guard against a stagnant traditionalism. Mm Mm-hmm. So he says, someone will say, perhaps shall there then be no progress in Christ's church? Certainly all possible progress for what being is there. So envious of men, so full of hatred to God who would seek to forbid it yet on condition. it be real progress, not alteration of the faith. And it, and it goes on and talks about how you have to illustrate and teach and all these things. But so it's this fine line. You don't lose what the faith teaches, but you have to keep it to where modern people understand it. And that's exactly what Vatican II was trying to do. And that's exactly how it got hijacked.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And so it's not unlike, um, you know, a translation like the King James version of the Bible, and then someone retranslating it again from not from the King James Bible, but from original sources, you know, into Mm -hmm. modern English and how effective that is in Making sure that the message gets through to the modern audience, um, right? You know, just more efficiently than uh, the King James version, right? So right. it's so, the same kind of thing
0: exactly. And so what all these people who are they're called liberal and conservative Catholics because part of part of the people who got in there and started misinterpreting it, only knew political ways to think about it. That was the media.
1: Yeah. So they
0: called them liberal and conservative. And we still hang on to that because it's a handy code word, but it's really not accurate because it's putting a whole different label on everything because um, the liberal so-called liberal people are like, let's cast open the doors. Let's let some fresh air in. We can change a few things. Like you said, let's have this translation, which goes faithfully back. But, it's not the king james and the the conservative people so called will say you've just changed everything we believe in and what you did is not actually church teachings and they're often right and so what they do is they pull in their shell too much and instead of being traditional they're kind of it's what is it called traditionalism or something so where it's not it's just kind of hewing the old line and so neither of them is responding to what the second vatican council said so i'm just going to explain real quickly what father blake Britton, who is he did a fantastic job with this book
1: he sure did
0: really wonderful and um yeah which i would have expected let one quick step back um you told me about the boroughshire podcast Mm,
1: yes loved that
0: (laughs) right and they only went 30 episodes Uh. And I know it was, it was such a blow to me. Yeah. Uh, but it was Brandon Vaught, who works for Word on Fire, and Father Blake Britton, and they're best friends. Yeah. And they did this together, and it was such a joy to hear them talk about this stuff they're both so faithful, but so fun hmm. and um they were they were saying it was for millennials, I think, but <laughs> I'm not a millennial, and it was good for me too so. I thought
1: it was it was so great I mean it was yeah. really refreshing, and I learned a ton you know these These are things I think you know a lot of people would assume that Catholics that have been Catholics for a long time know already, but sometimes we do, but we don't know the context and um, you know where it came from, and and oh, all their topics were fun. So it's oh, still yeah. available. Yeah, listen yeah, you should go
0: listen if you haven't. I mean, they have one on playing video games and stuff. And mm-hmm. I know from my nephew, young nephew, uh, that's so in, important a part of that culture. And I'm just like, really okay. Mm-hmm. This is where I'm not a millennial, but anyway. <laughs> so what he explains is he read Henri de Lubac, who wrote a book that. Um, Talked about Vatican II, and I'm gonna find this quote real quick. Okay. He wrote an outstanding little book, says the author, a brief catechesis on nature and grace. And in the appendices, there was an essay called The Council and the Paracouncil. Mm. And um, so, basically, it says, just as the Second Vatican Council received from a number of theologians instructions about various points of the task it should assume, under the pain of, quote, disappointing the world. And I'm sitting here reading this going, what a nerve. So, too, the, quote, post-consular, unquote, church was immediately and from all sides assailed with summons to get in step. Not with what the council had actually said, but with what it should have said. This is the phenomenon which we should like to designate as the para-council. Among many people whether partisans or opponents or simply docile followers all of whom were equally fooled this para council which often deserved the name anti council has been mistaken for the true council and whatever in the latter's work did not correspond with the former's program has more than once been neglected or misrepresented mm. so the para council which we will be referring to by that name a lot it's it is basically talking about 3 things that came rushing in, as he said, as Lubach said, and said, oh, no, 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 here's what they really meant to say. Mm-hmm. The spirit of and Vatican And everybody II. listened. Yeah. yeah, the spirit of Vatican II. If somebody says that, unbeknownst to them, they're quoting the wrong people. Because <laughs> there is no spirit of Vatican II. Yeah. Just yeah. read Vatican II. Mm-hmm. Uh, for which Word on Fire actually has a really good collection of Vatican II yeah, documents. absolutely. So the first one is theologians. They came in and went, oh, we know so much more. And we'll tell you what you should be talking about and what you missed and what you should have said. And they started telling everybody that to the second group of the Paracouncil, who are the media, who didn't know anything about anything. So these theologians are standing there tooting their own horns and talking and everything and they're just lapping it up and printing it everywhere and going this is how it works
2: hmm, and then you
0: have yeah i know. what a shock we're still doing it still- <laughs> and and then we have what's called the age capital a-g-e meaning the times that the Council was held in. Hmm. So the 60s and 70s. So the vibe of the thing, in a sense, kind of infiltrated everything and was looked at through that focus and that interpretation. Does that seem fair? It does Is seem a fair. a quick right. description? It
1: does. Okay. Yeah. And um, a lot of what people, in fact, I think Father Britain actually said, um, I think he actually said everything, (laughs) but it's like what what people are railing against from both sides, whether we call them liberal and conservative or whatever, they're both railing against what the Paracouncil said because nobody's reading the documents, right? It's like um, that's not what Vatican II said. Vatican II did not abolish the Latin mass, you know, and I think most people think that it did, you know.
0: What everybody's reacting to is... All the things that these people brought out as, and one side sees it as a threat, and one side sees it as a promise, Mm. and it is actually neither.
1: Yes, right.
0: Because it's all fake. So Mm -hmm. basically the council, and I'm going to just quickly paraphrase again, the council really was dedicated to tradition, meaning handing over wisdom in an active way. Not uh, not as, here, here are these rules that are all written down and you have to keep doing these things, but as, here's the reason behind what we did. Here's the context for everything. Take a look at why we did all this stuff. Now, here's how you can go on and live with it. So um, mm. it's like putting uh, wood on a fire, not shoveling the ashes off the fire. That was one of the quotes that Father Britton put in there to talk about what tradition really is. And then the other thing is, was dedicated to was renewal. And that was bringing everything up to date, but not by saying, great, let's get rid of the liturgy the way it is and just have the, you know, ribbon dancing and whatever. Let's use modern things to tell the eternal truths to the current world. Let's not open the doors and bring everyone in and be just like them so they all can relate to us Mm -hmm. and they'll want to be like us. Let's still hold all the truths we had, but show them how beautiful it is and show them what they're missing and make them want to come in because we've got something that everybody's longing for. That's what Vatican II was doing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yep, I agree. And um, it was an attempt to engage the modern world, not to be changed by the modern world, but to convert the modern world. Yes. So it was like, you know, throwing the doors open. It was not so we could all get out, you know, it was so (laughs) everybody could get in, you know what I mean? Right. So it was was just... uh, you know, again, that conversion of the modern world by, I don't know, taking a step towards modern, modernity. What, what do you, I, I'm trying to finish my thought there, well, but I think that that's part of what a lot of the criticism would be is like, well, we want to stay um, traditional. But this this idea of doing things like in the vernacular, so we're participating. Right. Those kinds of things were, uh, seemed to me to be excellent changes or excellent uh, mm-hmm. Progression. But um, I, I'm sympathetic with those who talk about the Eucharist and how, you know, let's bring back the altar rails, which you still have, and I think it's awesome. Mm-hmm. But, let's, you know, I would be very sympathetic to change like that. Um, let's bring that back. You know, there's. Um, if we have Eucharistic ministers so that mass goes faster, I don't think that that's a good reason to have that. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, cause <laughs> right. people stop coming cause it's an hour and 10 minutes or whatever. I don't like that thought. That kind of thing right. is no good. Um, so reshaping things, you know, with vernacular, um, simply so that the modern world can engage and that we can engage with them, I think is, is a good thing.
0: Right, because as a convert, I was never going to learn Latin. Mm -hmm. I suppose if I had to, but you go in and I imagine you were just learning what a lot of it meant by reading the things on the page opposite in English or something. And that's not the same thing either. You just don't feel it the same. And, you know, there are a lot of things that we'll talk about some of this stuff as we go through. There are things that were lost and there are things that are gained and wrongly applied in many cases. But... Yeah, the intention was always, as you said, you know, it's how do you participate fully? Yeah. You understand the words. You breathe them in. You have some silence. You have some beauty. You have some beautiful music. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about a local high school kid on his drums. You know, I'm just saying I don't care about these teen masses. Who's going to teach them how to understand what's beautiful if they never see it?
2: Yeah.
0: You know, if you're always lowering yourself to someone's level... How can they ever rise above and discover something else that's there that they never saw before? Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, what the church was trying to do is say, we want this to be something everyone can understand and join in and people from the outside and even people in the church. But, you know, we've got to keep the truth.
1: Absolutely.
0: So they talked about, this book talks about about four main topics that were Addressed in four different documents, there are other documents that talk about other things. My book club read the one a few years ago on missionaries. I think maybe maybe it was called on evangelization, and it's been long enough I don't remember. But everything they said was stuff that we already knew because it's been taught, you know. But one thing that somebody brought up when she was looking through, where did all this stuff come from? That she found out. Just out of left field, she said, you know, the liturgy, the way we have it now, and this is before it was retranslated and everything, she said, we thought that came from the Vatican, and this lady is 80 years old, so she was there for the change, and she was a nun at the time, I think, actually. So she said you know, here comes all the English and we just grab it and go with it. And she said, then I see in this research, it shows this was from some completely separate group that had been trying to modernize things on their own and no one would give them the time of day. Vatican II comes along and they're sending out their pamphlets and everyone thinks it's official. Mm -hmm. So they hijacked the U.S. liturgy. So this is the wrong way to modernize. You lose the true meaning, you lose the context, you lose, you know, what, has come from antiquity to us.
1: Absolutely. um, One of the things that I highlighted here illustrates that exact thing. Um, Hmm. Page 54. Um, In the wake of Vatican II, some priests felt pressured or obligated to enhance certain parts of the Mass, even though the Council expressly forbids any priest from adding, removing, or changing anything in the liturgy on his own authority. There is a temptation to think that liturgy is insufficient on its own or lacking the ability to inspire God's people in and of itself. Maybe it needs a helping hand, but this is deeply misguided. Tinkering with liturgy to make it more engaging or entertaining indirectly forms communities to believe that their actions and feelings are the basis of liturgical action. So it's just what you're saying, you know, for... So when it says some priests felt pressured or obliged to enhance certain parts of the Mass, that was an incorrect thing that was happening, you know, because the the document said, no, you're not allowed to do that. But yet they felt, you know, it's like the audience is out there and saying, entertain us, you know, entertain us.
0: Right. Then it's not something sacred that's handed down and right. that means something yeah. because it's from God. And so, um, it, and he mentions this in the next paragraph is, he says, so pretty soon you're saying, gosh, those Protestants down the street, they've got a great ma- a great uh, service going on. What do they have that we should be doing? Yeah, And in fact, <clears throat> I have a neighbor down the street who I know his wife is Catholic. I thought he was Catholic too, but... We're walking the dogs by one morning, and he goes, Hey, hi, I haven't seen you guys. We're going down to First Baptist now. That preacher can do a wonderful service. Just, oh, you really feel it. And I was just going, I don't know. I don't know what to say, but I should say something. And I I just said, but you don't have the Eucharist.
1: Yeah, that's the thing right there. That's exactly what I was thinking. yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay, good. Well, he stopped and he said, Oh, well, yeah, of course, that's important. I said, <laughs> it's the only thing. I right. felt real it Flannery was... O'Connor at that point. I was like, I couldn't think of what to say, but I could think of one. I said, it's <laughs> the only thing. That's if right. you don't have that, you don't have Jesus.
1: And what does the and Vatican, Vatican document like, say? It is the source and summit, right? Right. The Vatican II do documents say that over and over. And,
0: of course, I just, then I was like, oh, okay, so have a good day, you know. Uh,
1: <laughs> oh, man. But,
0: But my husband later, he said, you actually just said the perfect thing. It didn't sound pushy. Mm -hmm. It was just kind of a comment. And I said, okay, good, because it was all I could think of was you're missing the point. The point is not a wonderfully entertaining service. And I have seen ads for this. It's a huge church. They have a great band every week. They show us ads for it on TV, you know, and I'm just like, uh, that I don't feel like that. When I'm going to Mass, how can you worship like that when there's a band going on all the time? That's a different kind of worship. It's a different kind. Um, or celebration. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, um, so one thing I was thinking is these documents covered sacred liturgy, mm-hmm. the church, divine revelation, which would be, you know, scripture and so forth, and in uh, the nature of God and so forth, and the church and the modern world. So I jotted down a few bullet points of my own from these different topics. And um, I don't know if you had some things that struck you, but whether good or bad or surprise, maybe if we just talked about a few things of each.
2: Mm-hmm. Sure.
0: Because we can't great. cover this whole book. Yeah, it we is, certainly can't. Yeah. It is not long, but it is rich. Right. You know, you have to read it for yourself. It so.
1: absolutely is. Yeah, okay. so the sacred liturgy, uh, the first document was called Sacrosanctum Concilium.
0: Yeah. This, oh, yeah. This is why I like <laughs> it the vernacular.
1: Sounds pretty, pretty important to me. So, yeah. <laughs> it does. <laughs> so what did you find in that one?
0: Well, mm-hmm. I really liked um, a lot of things in this one. Of For course, instance, yeah. I didn't realize that RCIA, the adult teaching to come into the church, was set up based on guidelines that they recommended, and Father Britton was complaining that most places don't do this, but when I was reading it, we absolutely do it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: We, we have like six months of instruction. We do all these things. We do instruction after Easter, all this stuff, and so um, it made me feel very happy that we're doing that. Yeah, me too. I um, mm-hmm. have been in love with the liturgical calendar ever since mm-hmm. I discovered it after I entered the church. And they put an emphasis on that that made it more the universal church instead of local saints and um, kind of sorted it out a little bit.
2: Yeah.
0: And um, I was also grateful for that because I really do feel in touch with the universal church. And I love the calendar anyway. Mm-hmm. I have more, but why don't you give yeah, one or that's, two?
1: That's wonderful. Um, one of the things that, uh, especially lately, that I've just really been trying to practice is this idea of sacred silence. Mm. Um, so uh, I, I do, you know, the thing is, you know, so I am a Eucharistic minister. And one of the things that I find difficult about that is that we have a little schedule, you know, who's going to be doing, you know, we, we still haven't returned to the cup. We, we still don't offer the cup to the whole congregation. But mm. when we were doing that before COVID, we, you would have um let's see, it would be like probably six Eucharistic ministers, <clears throat> and there wow. would be a schedule. and the thing is you could walk in you, you let's say you walk in twenty minutes early or whatever. And, uh, if you're a Eucharistic minister and somebody's not going to be there and whoever was doing setup is like, oh my gosh, can you, can you please, you know, do, do this? You know what I mean? So it's, it's it. like at the beginning of mass becomes this little, you know, like a Buster Keaton little comedy skit <laughs> where, and you know, it, it, it is the opposite of getting ready for mass, you know, especially if you're going to be giving the Eucharist, you know, um, right. I, I just don't like that part of it. Um, so, mm. you know, um, so anyway, but uh, I just really love the silence. You know, I, I do really like that. I like it during Mass, you know, and I like mm-hmm. to be able to sit there after. And, um, you know, um, and of course before, <laughs> you know, before yes. sitting there in prayer is an important thing.
0: That's interesting, too, because we don't our church is traditionally built in the shape of a cross.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So the so altar rail just yeah. goes across the front. Okay. Mm-hmm. and um, But we don't do the chalice okay. or the cup,
2: mm-hmm.
0: except I think surely during Holy Week or before, yeah, Holy Week and maybe Easter Day or something like that. I, myself, don't care to drink after all those people, so I just don't do it. Yes, yep. But um, yeah, just just personal thing. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, but the rest of the time they don't do it. And people have asked, why don't you do it? And they're just like, because we're not set up for it. And they don't have people standing partway through the church, except again, maybe on Easter when it's super packed. And um yeah. so it's just you go to the altar rail, you kneel or stand as you want, but it's only the
1: host. That's all that's wonderful. And um and I, I really yeah. like that. And and so that's the way it is for us right now is um we usually have two Eucharistic ministers and then a deacon mm-hmm. and a priest. That's us and too. And there's four lines, yeah.
0: Oh, well, well we yeah, since we're, so we're, yeah, since yeah. we're ra- at the rail, it's two mm-hmm. sides. Right. You go up and you kneel or whatever on each side. But yes, that makes sense. So I right. didn't mean to interrupt. I was just kind no, of no, thinking I, through
1: I that. Think it, no, it's great. Because, you know, yeah. I, I, would, I would really like it the way that your church does that. I, I think the altar rail is beautiful. I just love mm-hmm. it. And then the other thing in sacred liturgy is, and and this, again, this was something that I heard first on the Burroughshire podcast. I think this was an episode before their Vatican II episode, um, was about the divine office. And Mm. the fact that the second Vatican council encouraged the divine office was something I just didn't know before. And, uh, Father Britton talks about it in here and, and what a, it's been nothing but beneficial to me, um. I, I kind of bounce in and out of it, um, but I, I try right. to maintain. And and when I'm doing that, it it you know life goes better. <laughs> there's just something <laughs> there's something about it. And and you know we're reading and you know I attend a Bible study on Monday nights and we're doing Isaiah. We've been doing a lot of Old Testament stuff, and that has really fed into my understanding of the Divine Office because I, I admit the first time I read some of the prayers in a Divine Office. I was like, I really am not connecting with this at all, Um, because a lot of it is Old Testament style stuff, you know? And then suddenly my eyes were opened and I'm in there now. And, you know, when I read it now, it's like really affecting. So I really just love it when I pray it is what I should say, because it is an activity. It's not just reading it. It's like, this is a prayer. So um, Mm -hmm. I love that practice. It's just something I've really come to love a lot. And that is liturgy, right? You know, it's uh, oh yeah, it's divine liturgy, right? You know, lit- liturgy it's, is the public prayer of the church. So. It's the
0: second most important liturgy after the mass. I think he yeah. says in the book. Mm-hmm. And yeah, because they recommended it for lay people as well as the priests who've always had to do it. So yeah, right. Um. Yeah, and that kind of goes into something where you said prayer is this prayer is active for you, right? And one thing he said here is, he said, you know, they said that the, the laity should be active participants. And he goes, but they didn't really mean running around and doing a lot of stuff. He goes, that's okay, of course. Mm-hmm. But for a lot of people, that is the substitute for prayer and other things, right. because it's a lot easier to do than to submit to silence and prayer and all that. And so he, the way he talked about being active— was very much what you're talking about with the divine office. It's actively being receptive to God, to the Holy Spirit, to how you're being moved, to even if it's just feeding your soul. And I say just, but Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, because we all think then we should be going out and leading a Bible study and Mm -hmm. going to this and doing that. Those are fine, but there are many other things that are fine, too. And you have Absolutely. to have that balance. And yes. so I loved what he said about that.
1: I did, too. I, I think it's great, you know, because there are tons of places for you to volunteer in the church, right? Um, mm-hmm. But this being active in the liturgy, um, we um, I, I don't feel like laity should be looking for more places to be in the, in the liturgy. Um, no. I, I just feel like, you know, this is—we ought to be participating. I mean, in fact, there are times— when, because of our CAA and things, you know, I often have rites. Sometimes I do a dismissal, so I miss the Eucharist oh, or whatever. Yeah. Sometimes I'll go on Saturday night just because I get to have Mass. I get to experience Mass in an active way. And then on Sunday morning, I go and we do the rite of acceptance or whatever. That's what's coming up, is that. But, um, you know, that way, I've, I've, I've got my active one in, you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. I'm active in a different way on the Sunday one, because I've got a, I'm running around like crazy waiting for people to show up, you know, I mean, all that stuff. And
0: we've been able yeah. to fully worship.
1: Exactly. That's perfectly put. Yeah. yeah and Sometimes I feel I, like it, you know, I go a couple weeks with this activity and I'm like, man, I'm really. Not feeling connected, so I'll go on a Saturday, and then you know, nobody's mm-hmm. there going to bother me to get a New Eucharist through anything like that. It's <laughs> just like, let's just pray. Oh, so,
0: that's so much better, I think, than I would be about it. Mm-hmm. I, uh, but I have to say, I've been asked by people, Well, I can't believe you aren't a Eucharistic minister or you know, doing some of these other things, an usher, what. And, and or a reader because you know my voice people like mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And I and I'm always thinking I don't want to work. I'm there just I'm just there trying my hardest to worship, and that's often enough of a struggle being active doing
1: that. <laughs> and it is not like you don't do other things. I mean, you do uh, the Beyond Cana retreat and stuff,
0: right? I do and I do things. And even when you're not doing things, you know, when you were talking about the divine office, I tried that. And it didn't, it worked for a while. I hate to say worked, but then it quit working. Then it was just a horrible chore, which I still did for a while and went, no. But what happened is I wound up hanging on to the prayer times. Hmm. I just used them differently.
1: Beautiful. Yeah.
0: I'm still, I got my morning, my lunchtime, and my mid afternoon prayer. It still happens. And each one of them I have structured in a certain way now. And um, so. It's what you're saying. It's that regular time mm-hmm. with intentional use, and that's active too. Even though it looks like I'm just sitting out in the backyard mm-hmm. reading a book. Yeah. So. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, I it's also. It's funny that you say
1: that because I, uh, in the summer, I started doing yeah. my lods outside. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I yeah. didn't know that you were doing that, but oh, yeah. I would go outside now. It's dark in the morning and it's getting cold, but um, yes. I loved it. You just go out there and sit down and um, just, right, yeah, do lauds. It was great.
0: Well, because there's nothing closer to God for me mm. aside from the Eucharist, don't get me wrong, but on my own time, nature, mm. you know, it's that quote God made the world beautiful because he loves us, yeah. And there's beauty in all these things. And mm. that's just a way to connect that's not of me. It's not my house. All the things. So there's that. And, and then another thing, so, so I realize I'm really hogging this part, but don't that's worry, good, I'm going to no, stop please. soon. Ha
2: ha. <laughs> <You're good>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but my husband has was an altar boy. And this was before Vatican II. And, of course, Vatican Two came along, and he was a teenager, and his father quit going, and all the boys went, woo and quit too. But now that he's back, he really kind of resents having the priest face the people.
2: Hmm.
0: He says, hmm. it's like he's, we're his audience. He said, we are not his audience. I liked it when he faced the Eucharist, and he was one of us. He was leading us. We were following him. Yeah. he's our shepherd. And you think of all the things you see in the Bible, Moses, all the different leaders who are going up and talking to God for you. Mm. And Father Britton had a beautiful thing in this book about holding up the chalice like that and seeing not his face reflected, but the faces of the people behind him Mm -hmm. because he was facing uh, the cross. And he said, you know, it just put a whole different reflection on it. And of course, now we find out, that was never intended, actually. Yeah, they were right. they were talking about facing east, which is a whole different situation. Mm. And people took it and said, you should be, you know, one of the people, man, around the table. And anyway, mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
0: so that's something I was glad to see wasn't actually called for. And I wish they would change mm. because I, I get to see the priest the other times. He's given the homily and all the things. So. Sure.
1: Yep.
2: Yeah.
0: Anything else? Mm-hmm. That you can think of
1: from yeah. sacred literature. Oh, no, I just, uh, yeah. I think, you know, we touched on beauty, but there's a sacred beauty yes. in there, too. And yes. um, just, you know, like you said, the beauty of nature. I mean, there's something about it. I mean, uh, Father or Bishop Barron talks about that all the time. Mm-hmm. Super effective. Um, it, it just connects with people, um, connects with me, you know, definitely. But
2: well, yeah.
1: beautiful music, beautiful setting. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we're not in a in a business boardroom. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh my gosh! We're in yes. we're in a, a beautiful setting. You know, and yes. Uh, yeah, and and I feel well, like I believe... I'm lucky to feel like I have that at my church. I think it's it's the oh most gosh. beautiful church I have ever regularly attended.
0: Yeah, yeah, and ours is for me. And I can remember others that were simple and modern but quite beautiful, one in Germany
2: mm-hmm.
0: especially. Um but and I and I think I've told this story before about being in Notre Dame in Montreal mm. and Seeing a young man in his 20s standing in the aisle with tears going down his face, and Mm -hmm. his girlfriend's like, Are you okay? And he goes, I'm sorry, I'm just having a moment. This is all just (laughs) getting to me. And he was embarrassed and he didn't have the language, but I knew exactly what was happening. Yeah. He felt the beauty. Right. It was conveying something beyond words. Love that. And touching him. Yeah. So, all right. So, should we go on to the church?
1: Yeah. So, the next one, the document name is Lumen Gentium.
2: Yes. Yes.
1: So it's uh, about the church. And uh, Father Britton says that this document is considered the crowning jewel. (laughs) It represents nearly 200 years of development in the field of ecclesiology, the theological discipline that studies the nature and origins of the church. And the church is people, right?
0: (laughs) Right. Well, yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. So
2: it
0: it talks about the sacrament of salvation, for one thing and somebody ran out and went it's the the church is the sacrament of the world well they were not right it's not the sacrament of the world it's the sacrament of salvation you come to get salvation we're not here to go out in the world and be like the world so that's just my little bit of eh. that's right mm-hmm. but it's also of course because it's about the church it's about the nature of the trinity yes and he was saying that it this really kind of woke people up to thinking about the Holy Spirit in a way that nobody had, because the Holy Spirit can be difficult. It's the least understandable mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, yeah. And that that we're set apart and consecrated within the world but not of the world is what he says. Yes, um also, Mary is talked about in this document. And there was evidently this was one of the most heated discussions was, do you do a separate document on Mary or do you put her in here? So I thought that was really interesting that, that, you know, she was important enough that they wanted to do a separate document. But I can also see, yes, but let's make sure she's not missed by people not reading the document. Let's put her in here. All the big stuff, right? I nothing struck me here except I agreed with everything. I (laughs) (laughs)
1: I agree with everything. The thing that that struck me um, was summoned to sainthood. It's page 108. It says uh, chapter five of Lumen Gentium is groundbreaking. You know, not since the apostolic age has such a compelling explanation of the people of God's baptismal call has been accessible. So um, this idea, it, it underlines the idea that. Um, it's not just religious that are being called here. Um, it is the people of God as a whole. You know. So it's not just priests and nuns and bishops and, and everybody, right? But this idea that we're all called to that is you know, part of this document.
0: And you know what's so funny is, you're right, that is the one thing that I know and preach all the time to people mm. and try to practice myself and i somehow just kind of went oh well, of course mm-hmm. yeah. you know <laughs> to that section <laughs> summoned to saint uh-huh that's right without realizing how groundbreaking it was i'm i'm glad mm-hmm. you pointed it out because i i can't have any stronger feelings than i do about that if right, we all right. tried to behave the, that way we'll still fail but we'll fail less maybe
1: yeah or
0: fail differently
1: So I did like this in the same section on page 109. In many ways, our generation of Catholics is reminiscent of the ancient church, persecuted, mocked, suppressed, and silenced. We will need to lean on each other in the years to come, encouraging one another in Christ so as to continue our task of sanctification. Beautiful. And then the next Mm. line, this was the collaboration Satan sought to destroy, you know, And it says with the the sex abuse crisis, you know, so, but I, if there is something to be attacked, it is, it is that relationship, you know? Um, But I I completely agree with uh, what was, what is said right here. In a lot of ways, it does feel like we're starting over. We're, you know, getting smaller and it's like re-evangelizing, which was the purpose of the Vatican too, you know? That, that's right. what they were doing. You know, they were saying, let's evangelize the modern world. And we need the tools to do it. And these are the tools, you know.
0: Well, and I like that he brings up the sex crisis in such a good way, because mm. he's talking about the flock being separated from the shepherd. And, of course, there's the horrible, awful damage and yeah. things that were done to the people who were the victims. <laughs> and the priests themselves And, and bishops, yeah. And bishops, many of them without knowing that, you know, oh, my gosh, look at yourself in the mirror. You can't see what you've turned into. However, there are so many who didn't do anything. Yeah. And um, so – one thing he says is laypersons should pray constantly for
1: priests,
0: deacons, and religious begging God to keep them safe and restore a sense of joy in their mm. hearts.
1: Gosh, I need and, to be doing that.
0: <laughs> well, and I do pray for the clergy, specifically mm. the ones I know or the ones whose ministry I think, oh, my goodness, wouldn't Satan love to just get in there with a good scandal? You know, <laughs> Bishop yeah. Barron, Father Mike Schmitz, Bishop Blake here, or Bishop Blake Britton here. Um yeah. But the thing about hmm, Father restore Blake. a synthesis, Blake, uh, Blake will, Blake. Blake will be sorry. so happy.
1: <laughs> Father Blake will be so happy. <laughs> oh my Way gosh. to go, man. Way to go. <laughs> he seems so wise. Okay, anyway. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love it. He's been demoted mm-hmm. as of now Scott has spoken. Yes, no, it's on the book. I just I love was carried it. away. I, love it. <laughs> I wasn't listening to myself. Mm. Anyway, but what I liked was the restore mm. a sense of joy in their hearts. Mm. Oh, because yes. I I think once they get into work, it's work. And I think it's got, you, you have to have that sense of joy. All of us can struggle sometimes, mm-hmm. but surely for a priest, they're seeing things both good and bad. But certainly the bad have to make it hard sometimes. And so oh, I pray okay, I for them imagine. all the time for God to keep them safe. Yep. And in fact, um, and I'm not saying this in any kind of way to, to kind of praise myself, but just as you know, if anybody had something they, something they wanted to offer up, once a month would be a good idea. Mm. Like the first Friday of every month, Rose, my daughter, and I fast for the church,
2: mm.
0: and that's the church meaning all of us, but really the church meaning, the Pope, the clergy, anybody who is officially. Working for the church because yes. we need that, you know. So, and I don't say it to make myself sound important. I am not. And mm-hmm. uh, I struggle. You'd think I wouldn't struggle with this every month, mm-hmm. but the intention is important. So, yes, it
1: is. That's great. I love that practice.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. First Friday is coming up. No, no it's fine. I, it's I, all fine. <laughs> I think it's great. <laughs> yeah.
1: Another thing that I ought to add. Um, Well, well, I feel moved to add that. Let's put it that way. That's one of the things that I always teach new Catholics. I said, you're going to be inundated with possibilities. (laughs) Right. You know what I mean? You can do the rosary. You can do the divine office. You can show up to uh, um, adoration. You know, you're going to have so many things. Um, uh, But, you know, these things are there for you. Um, Yes. Use what you feel that you should be doing. You know, Um, don't feel like you need to do everything. Because that, that just, uh, that's, that's tough on people.
0: Yeah, and the funny thing is, is everybody gets so enthusiastic about it, and I myself will be enthusiastic. But, you know, I still remember how many times I fought off, you know, people saying, well, you aren't saying the rosary every day? <laughs> Let me teach you how. And I was like, no, no, I get it, I know, and I yeah. truly respect it. And sometimes yeah. I use the rosary, but, you know, that's not for me right now.
2: right.
1: And the thing is, it's for you sometimes, Um, and and that's the other piece of it. You know, you're going to come in and out of this, you're going to, you're going to grow in this, and then you're going to move on to something else. You're going to grow in that, and you may return to this, and you'll grow in this, you know. Um, I mean, how many times have we read a chapter of the Bible and come away saying, I think that's the first time I've ever read that? But you know it isn't, (laughs) because it's sometimes you're suddenly in a place where it's like full understanding. I mean, you feel, I'm never full, you know, but it's just like suddenly this light comes on and you're like, my goodness, that's what this says. You know, that's pointing to Jesus right there. You know, it's like reading Isaiah, which (laughs) is what the first gospel, right?
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. So the fifth gospel. Yeah.
1: For me, I'm just experiencing that almost every Monday night. It's just like, this is amazing. This is amazing. This is amazing. And I've been through it all, you know, so, but somehow maybe it's the group I'm with or whatever, but it's, it's, uh, I'm blessed to be really having my eyes opened all over again. So it's great.
0: Which is so great. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the things that, um, was it, oh, the sacred liturgy encouraged Catholics to read scripture. And so one of Mm -hmm. the things that you still hear, even, oh my gosh, the deacon doing the RCIA at our church went, well, you know how it is. Protestants read no scripture. We Catholics (laughs) don't. I'm like... Wow, well, no, what decade are you that. in? Because I know <laughs> so many Catholics who we may not know, it, but we're reading it and thinking about it. Oh. And I guarantee you I know it much better than my brother, oh. who's a non-denominational Protestant. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, to each his own. And what you're making me think of when you talk about this kind of ebb and flow mm-hmm. of practices, and as long as you're still trying to get closer to God, it's like what St. Francis de Sales said in his um, – introduction to the devout life I think it was where he said you know nature is always the same but always changing Mm.
2: every spring is the
0: same but it's always different is it wet and rainy yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. and he goes and man echoes that oh that's because man is a part of nature so some our mornings and afternoons and evenings are all the same and our weekly routine is all the same but it's always different
1: Oh, that's perfect. Yep.
0: And so why would our faith life not be the same way as we ebb and flow and we have time and we don't have time and God works with us as long as we're open and trying to be actively participating, you know, in the listening.
1: So I I have that quote right here. May I read it? Oh, good. This is from St. Francis de Sales, right? We we did a podcast on his book a long time ago.
2: Mm -hmm. But
1: his day is continually turning to night, spring to summer, summer to autumn, autumn to winter, winter to spring. No two days are ever exactly alike. Some are foggy, rainy, some dry or windy, and this endless variety greatly enhances the beauty of the universe. And even so precisely, it is with man who as ancient writers have said, is a miniature of the world, for he is never long in any one condition, and his life on earth flows by like the mighty waters, heaving and tossing with an endless variety of motion, one while raising him on high with hope, another plunging him low in fear, now turning him to the right with rejoicing, then driving him to the left with sorrow and no single day, no, not even one hour, is entirely the same as any other of his life. Beautiful. Oh, love that. Yeah. Introduction to the devout life. St. Francis mm-hmm. de Sales. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. And
0: I have to say, something else I've been <laughs> since we're just talking now at this point, mm-hmm. uh, but something else that i practice practiced that's helped me recognize that in my own life is the nightly examine.
2: mm Yeah,
0: where you just mentally kind of flow through your day, Mm -hmm. and I do it. It's only supposed to take about five minutes, which is the nice thing. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, just kind of going, What's the one here's four or five things I can think of. What's the one thing that I'm gladdest of, or sorry is for, whatever. And um, and then I ask God, What did you see in my day that you Mm -hmm. thought was important?
1: Yeah, beautiful,
0: and I'm so often surprised. It's something yeah. I didn't even remember.
1: Something that you, and, you see in hindsight. That's, that, right. that's how I see yeah. it. Well, like, oh, God
0: I, pops it in there and yeah. goes, I liked this. How did I and, see you know, Sometimes there, those things, yep. yeah, sometimes those things you just go, oh, yeah, that was great. And the things God likes are things you might necessarily think of in there. They just draw you closer.
1: Oh, yeah. Beautiful. So Love that. Mm-hmm. So good.
0: Okay, so next, Divine Revelation.
1: Yes, and D.A. Verboom is the name of this document.
0: Oh, I might come close on saying that one. Ooh, Maybe. <laughs> but luckily, you did it, so I don't have that's right, to. That's right. Yes. Hopefully so... I'm saying it right. <laughs> and so, for me, this section, which is fairly short.
1: It really is, yeah.
0: Surprisingly, <clears throat> the thing, though, that struck me was the historical critical method of studying scripture oh yeah. yeah and so you correct me if I'm wrong but that's something that I I like it mm-hmm. but I'm always a little wary until I know I can trust the people doing it because it started off as people saying, hey, let's look back and find the archaeological evidence, mm-hmm. sure, the sure. the historical things that go along yeah. with this, and we can put it in context, mm-hmm. which is super duper until you go, I don't see any proof that Jesus did this. <laughs> Therefore, yeah. you know, where or we this get, this
1: you always find <laughs> well, yourself a scholar that says, you know, I don't think Jesus even existed. <laughs> And you're well, like, well, oh my oh, there is no evidence. You're like, what? Well, there's <laughs> no on. evidence he didn't. Come on, and I got man. four
0: books that say you, he did. Man. How do you
1: know Plato existed? <laughs> well, you believe right. in Plato? You know, so it's the same kind of thing. But when when I talk to people about um, that interpretive thing, contextualism is really the word that I use. Okay. But it's simply the importance of knowing, like, let's say a gospel, right? Let's say Matthew. It's the importance of knowing who Matthew was, if we can. And who he was writing for, who he can, and when he was writing, right? So, it's mm-hmm. simply a statement that that's important. So, when, when, he, when he says something, um, you know, as we're interpreting it, you know, if, if he's using some kind of a colloquialism or something um, that meant something to the, to the shepherds that he's talking to, let's say, um, then that's an important thing to know because these gospels were written by people. They're inspired by God, but he didn't possess them and make their hands move. He <laughs> right. He just said, you know, I mean, you know, they were inspired to write this down. They were like, I should write this down, you know, and they wrote it down from their perspective, their story, what they saw, you know, wrote that down. and Also, um, yeah. what
0: everybody knew at the time. Right. I don't have to explain to you a smartphone.
1: Exactly right. I could put the word in a book. And those things are important. A
0: thousand years later, nobody knows what that is. Well, and so, um, yeah, so I have two super quick examples, which listeners may all know, but in case they don't. So one is early on when I was reading Bible study, there (laughs) there was somebody who put forth a theory that I didn't realize was kind of widespread at the time, which was when Jesus is feeding, I I don't know if it's the 4,000 or the Mm 5,000, which time it was, but anyway, the idea is that when the little boy has like the three fish and the two loaves or whatever it is, and Jesus starts breaking it up and says, just take it around, it'll be enough, instead of it being Jesus actually multiplying it, so it's always enough, it's real food that was a miracle. -hmm. It's everybody was ashamed and they all had food in their pocket, but they didn't want to bring it out. So they all started bringing out their food and sharing it. And I read that and went, Oh, that makes sense. And the more I thought about it, the more I went, Well, that, but that just is now it's not a miracle anymore. And it takes away the whole (laughs) connection to the Eucharist and all the things. And then I read later somewhere, they're like, No, this is somebody made this up because it made sense to them. And I went, Oh, That's the danger of you thinking you know what those people did and thought when you don't have any evidence for it. Mm -hmm. They would have said. They said a lot of things that were embarrassing then. And then the one that I like, which always gives a lot of context, I think, to the Lord walking through the streets, talking to a random woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, Mm. the woman who touches his tassel and is healed. And he turns around and says, who did it? And he talks to her in front of all those people. No man did that. No respectable man would talk to a woman on the street. No respectable woman would want to be talked to on the street. That's just not how it was done. He didn't care. He knew what people needed. He was willing to reach out. So knowing that context shows you how out of the box he was. Mm, Yeah. So if you find somebody you can trust, it really just opens the door for you to have a new view of Jesus
2: mm-hmm. and,
0: you know, the Trinity, everything. And so I'm grateful for it now that I know how I know what to trust.
1: Right. Yeah,
0: But it's so easy to be led astray by these people who can't think beyond their own limited view.
1: Mm. So true. Yep. That's, that's, I, I love those examples. Those are terrific. Yep. Oh. Yeah. And then the other thing in this section is tradition, of course, you know, sacred tradition. Mm. And, and that's the idea that, you know, we Catholics get our information from both places. It's really uh, scripture tradition and the magisterium. But there's this idea that there's tradition. I mean, right at the end of the book of John, uh, the gospel of John, it, it says if we wrote down everything that Jesus did, this would be a really long book. You know, so th- this idea. The that, world couldn't hold all the books. Yeah, absolutely. They I love good. that
0: so much. Yeah. It's one of my favorites.
1: So, I mean, that's just a statement saying, hey, things happened here. Um, it's not all here written down, you know. So we have this tradition of things that were passed down through the apostles. And, um, you know, so we're not sola scriptura. We're not a sola scriptura church. And, and that's something to teach people early, too, when they come to you. Um, it's just talking to you know, this, cause it's such a big difference between us and others that, um, we read the Bible that way and we view tradition that way with a capital T. There are little right. T's, little T tradition is what, mm-hmm. you know, Vatican II was about. You know, it wasn't uh, changing right. any big T's. It was changing little T's. Right. right. So
0: here's the language you can use yep. and should use right. and all those things. Yeah. Okay. That's right. Yes, Beautiful. and it's a short but good chapter and mm-hmm. then the next one is called The Church and the Modern World.
1: And this is called The Church Yeah, and the Modern World. Uh no, sorry. <laughs> and that's the <laughs>
0: one where everybody goes nuts,
1: man. <laughs> it's uh Gaudium et Spes. Space? S P E S. Yeah, so that's
0: the other one I read. Okay. <laughs> Which I really, not knowing anything, I read it and found it unexceptional in Uh the way that you deal with things. It just made sense to me. And so uh, one of the things I wrote down is they were talking about, and this was in, what, the 60s. So we can look at how technology and science and knowledge has just mushroomed. Yes. And we're drowning in a sea of facts. But what they were kind of saying essentially was we have to slow down. We have to look at how does this relate to our humanity? Meaning kind of just because we can do something, should we do it? Mm -hmm. We have to ask Mm -hmm. that question. I love that. Yeah. What Mm. is the overall point of everything?
1: And we have a really nice quote from that document here on page 148 saying that same thing. It says, coming down to practical and particularly urgent consequences, this council lays stress on reverence for man. Everyone must consider his every neighbor without exception as another self, taking into account first of all his life and the means necessary to living it with dignity, so as not to imitate the rich man who had no concern for the poor man Lazarus. Furthermore, whatever is opposed to life itself, such as any type of murder, genocide, abortion, euthanasia, or willful self-destruction, whatever violates the integrity of the human person. So to me, that is expanded to the point of technology and, and mm-hmm. everything that you've mentioned, things, you know, that, that's, that's the, one of the things that the church does. And, and um, one of the nice things that they said in that podcast, in the Boroughshire podcast, was by opening themselves up to the modern world and being engaging with it, it resulted in things like Pope John Paul II going to Poland and preaching there, right? To mm-hmm. Pope Benedict talking to Congress in the United States. Um, well, Pope Benedict also spoke to the German uh, thing. And I, I know that Pope Francis also spoke to the Congress in the United States. But it's like the Catholicism is a force in the world. There's It's, it's something that people respect. Um, and that has been tattered by things that have been happening, right? right. But the, the, it is there. and if if they had instead said, "Let's build these walls and now we're not going to engage, um, what relevance would there be? you know? So this idea of us, um, you know, th- there would be no chance for evangelization. Let me put it that way.
0: If you build those walls, you, aren't you doing what Jesus said, which is taking your light and putting it under a bushel basket?
1: Exactly right. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, well put.
0: <laughs> well, it just came to me, so yeah. yeah. thank you, Holy Spirit. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, when you're saying that, I'm thinking, yes, we that's the point of opening the doors. We are supposed to become the light to the world. Mm-hmm and convey Jesus's light. And that's how you do it. You have to be out there and you have to talk about things and you have to do it in a way so that people will hear. And that's some of the modern thing. That's how applying Vatican II today is still challenging, but still has to be done. Right. And when you look at all the things, because as, um, father Blake Britton (laughs) says, um, Society has gotten worse since Vatican II on issues related to respect for human life and sexual morality. If the Council Fathers were to rewrite the document today, no doubt they would include in vitro fertilization, embryonic stem cell research, pornography, gay marriage, and transgenderism on the list of threats to human dignity. And he may mention this and I don't see it, but I'm thinking also artificial intelligence, Mm. transhumanism. And all that is related to science. You can't do half this stuff without a misuse of science. Right. Just the let's stop and think. I mean, at the time, I still remember, and nobody talks about this anymore, but I still remember when cloning was a huge problem. You know, Dolly the sheep and, you know, are they going to clone a human being? And maybe things are going on. I don't know. But you don't hear about that now. Now the noise is all somewhere else. So, it's always about respecting human beings, each human being, because they're made in the image of God.
1: Right. Mm-hmm.
0: And a lot of this is totally against that. And so, that's the ancient truth that we're talking about in the modern world. Mm. So, yeah. So, then I thought also interesting was he talks about social justice.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, social justice has kind of become a catchphrase. And it's so he says, my seminary professor once said that Catholic social justice doctrine is one of the church's best kept secrets, meaning that the theology and teachings of the church's social justice doctrine remain widely unknown. And this is because the council took it and went, oh, I have a political ideology that could benefit from this social program. Mm-hmm. Let's do this. And if some violence is involved to get what we need, let's do it. So you have, and then I start thinking of, um, oh gosh, green spiking mm-hmm. trees, and um, that's not in the name of religion, but it's that kind of activism. Mm-hmm. And so the Catholic Church has been used in that way. The faith has been hijacked like that. And he says, Vatican II's true teaching on social justice, rather than defining a series of specific rules or applications, is primarily spiritual in nature, focusing on the conversion of human hearts So as to affect the infrastructures of society, there must be an internal conversion if we are to make external changes. So you work for Mm -hmm. external change, you feed the hungry, you help the poor, you visit people in prisons. But at the same time, if you don't get to know these people person to person or however you can, you can't change anything. You have to know each other.
1: Right. Yep.
0: And that's the real social justice. It's being socially just to the mm-hmm. person that you're with.
1: My gosh, that's that's so perfect. I mean, it, that feeds right into the whole faith and works thing, you know, and the whole Catholic view of faith and works. Mm. Know, our belief yes. that, you know, if we, if we have faith, we're going to do works, you know. Um, <laughs> yes. But it's not like works are a thing that you do as a ladder to get up somewhere. It's, uh, it's like an outpouring of your faith. It's uh, because you're faithful, you want to do the works, right? Um, right. So that's exactly what this is saying. It fits perfectly. It's right. the idea of we, if, we, if we're converting people, they're going to do the right thing. And that's social justice, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to end up correctly. <laughs> Perci- <laughs> you know? Well, and, precisely. And, and we're doing that by doing works.
0: And this is part of trying to become a saint. I mean, yep. it, this whole docu- all these documents ebb and flow because this is with each other, because this is how yeah. God works with us, it's how the church works with us. Beautiful
1: how consistent it is. It's just like, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it, yeah. it's supernatural.
2: It's a master work. It
1: is. It's like, you know, that's the thing. It's, it's like all of it, everything together. It, mm-hmm. It's inexhaustible but how because they're
0: also talking about yeah. marriage and the family. Yeah. In this section. Well, of course, mm-hmm. who would have thought when this was written that marriage and the family would be under such extreme attack as it is right now? All from people who say they want the best for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. But are determined that that is a good that mm-hmm. isn't really necessary.
1: Right. Well, wow.
0: just, you know. Mhm. Right.
1: And Amazing. so the church and the yep.
0: world—who's—who's the, who's the prince of the world? Well, that's the devil. And this is why we have the church, because it—it it helps us get to heaven. It helps us fight those things. It helps us maybe share it with other people, which is what we want. We want everybody to—to to have a good life and to know God and to you know know that love and and live it. You know, mm-hmm. being Catholic isn't easy, but nothing is easy. <laughs> Why not work towards something that gives you joy?
1: yeah I agree with you well put too you know that it's just that's it you know I was explaining to someone just the other day you know you talk about commandments and things you know from God and it's like dude these these are good rules <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah. these are these are good rules right here I mean it, it, he's basic God's basically saying hey if you follow these rules, your chance of right. having a good life is exponentially better than if you break any one of these. And, um, that is just, it's provable. It's it's provably true. You know, um, it's, it's just, I mean, it, it's just absolutely true. And, um, and, you, and, and, and in that way, you know, these rules, these things that we subscribe to as religious folk, um, actually have freedom, you know, it's, it's it's we're freer yeah. for doing this. Then you have to
0: be others. able to talk to people about it somehow, so they'll listen. Mm-hmm. And these days, that's getting harder and harder. Yeah, but but it is possible somehow. And of course, we can't count on ourselves. We just have to put ourselves in there and try. Absolutely, we have to yeah. you know learn and try to talk about it because it's just. <laughs> I think about. And I know I've mentioned this before, but it's repeat week, I guess. <laughs> so the uh, the journey that I had after I joined the church and said, you know, I can't really pray for abortion or, you know, against abortion. I can't really pray for, you know, um, and into it wasn't an into euthanasia. I was thinking guess, of gay marriage. So these social issues that I had grown up thinking these don't hurt anyone. The church needs to get out of it. And I went, but I'm in the church. And it didn't bother me till then. I just kind of didn't pay. It's not that they didn't teach it. I just didn't think about it. And I was like, well, crud. I joined the club. I better know what they think. And so I went and started reading through stuff. And as I said, it was Peter Crafe's book on Catholic Christianity, came out about then. And I read through it. And as I read through it, I came to all these issues and was like, oh, damn it. Yep, that logic is irrefutable. Mm-hmm. It goes right back to Jesus and the Ten Commandments. Oh, this one, too. Oh, this one, too. The death penalty. Yeah, okay, fine. So you can change what you understand if you see that there's a logical basis for it, that the church isn't just hanging it out there because this is how good people act. Yeah. For no reason without caring and loving people. But we have to then, I guess that's the point of, you know, this is how you reclaim Vatican II. You go out and you do it.
1: Right. Right. And I, I think that's that's the step that needs to happen. Um yeah, we, we talked a little bit about, you know, Pope Francis, you know, sort of putting the kibosh or trying to on, on the Latin mass and things and mm-hmm. it just didn't feel like the right thing. I don't know if it's had the effect that he hoped. I, I don't it's I wish instead it would be like let's open dialogue, you know, which is the way he seems to run everything else. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, let's open dialogue and talk about this because yeah. the, the honest, I really truly feel, knowing what I know now, and I have documents to read, so I do mm-hmm. admit that, right? But knowing what I know at this moment, it seems to me that if we implemented the, the liturgical document, for example, if we implemented that and said, here's what we need to do, that everybody's going to be satisfied, because it seems right. to cover what everybody wants. Um, the stuff that, that we're um, rebelling against, um, that traditionalists are rebelling against, seems to be uh, addressed in that document. Um, and again, I have some things to read, but um, <laughs> if that's so, you know, it seems to me that we have a path forward where we can bring these people together, you know, in, in, yeah. a, in a liturgy that we can all be proud of.
0: And I've always heard that John Paul II and Benedict XVI were felt like they were finishing up the work of Vatican II, and I never precisely put my finger on it. I just trusted that that was the case. That what they were doing was moving us forward in a positive direction, and as far as I could see, it was. It was the right, measured way to do it—the balance of tradition and openness and all the things—and. This is one thing that they specifically felt like, well, this is okay to have a Latin mass under these conditions and everything. And so the more I read of this book about reclaiming Vatican II, the more I could suddenly see, having been around for the end of John Paul II and all Benedict, that this is what they were doing. The things that they said where people go, oh, I don't know if I like that one way or the other. Those are all things coming from Vatican II. They were setting things straight. Mm -hmm. I don't know if Pope Francis has that same understanding. And, of course, I don't know what he knows. But I also know that people can sometimes make mistakes or be misinformed, and they can change their minds later. And, you know, the bishops do have a chance to do that. But it seems to me like it's a broad um, correction Mm -hmm. that maybe should be handled more specifically. That's
1: what I can say. Yeah, I I agree. Yeah. And hopefully that's what occurs. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Amazing. Oh. Well, that was an amazing talk. <laughs> I love it. I think this is going to be our longest podcast ever.
2: I know. But I, I, I really, really here, enjoyed
1: you. this whole conversation. It's, yeah, It's been wonderful. <laughs>
0: no, me too. Yeah. I've liked talking about this. And the crazy thing is, everybody, if you haven't read this book already, there's more. And it's <laughs> yes. all easy to read. And it's not even read. that big
1: a book. It's like... No. 200 pages. 170, yeah, if you don't count the notes, it's like 173, but it's just full of wonder. I mean, really terrific.
0: Well, what I was wondering, Scott, do you happen to know if there's an audible version of
1: this? I don't. I don't think that there is. Let me just I look can, real quick. Yeah, I can actually look too.
2: <laughs> we, I guess we could both look. Can't we?
1: <laughs> is it a Let's race? See. Britain.
2: Ooh,
0: Britain. I can't type fast enough now. Britain. Oh, no, now I'm. Oh, Vatican. Wait, wait, reclaiming Vatican II. Here, somebody looked for it. Let's oh, I see, looked up. I there. looked up
1: the last name Britton, and I'm getting uh, some romances by Sally Britton. Nope, nope.
0: <laughs> and reclaiming Vatican II is uh, no, okay. by Joseph Pierce Benedict the 16th. So nothing to do with it. I mean, it's probably the words are in there somewhere. Okay. In the description. So if he had enough time, and if he did, he should be updating the podcast yes. however if he had extra time it would be super great <laughs> if he would narrate this book yes I doubt if that's happening so you mm-hmm. just have to read it but that'd be good that right. works
1: Yep, terrific book yeah reclaiming yep. vatican 2 father blake mm-hmm. yes it's really wonderful well worth your time yeah
2: all right. Okay.
1: Yeah. So
0: we're done now. I I the this isn't a trend that will continue, but the last couple you said a Saint Michael oh, prayer yes, because yeah. we were talking about series the evil neck here. <laughs> we're going the other direction.
1: That's right.
0: And I would like to ask the intercession of a few saints that are specifically connected to instruction and teaching and church truth and maybe mm-hmm. Vatican II also. Cool. Shall Wonderful.
1: we? Shall we let's do.
0: Okay. Saint Thomas Aquinas.
1: Pray
2: for us.
0: Pray for us. Mm-hmm. Saint Pope John the Twenty Third. Pray, pray for, for us. us. Oh, sorry. Pray for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pope Paul the Sixth.
1: Pray for us.
0: Pray for us. Mm-hmm. Saint John Saint Pope John Paul II.
1: Pray for us.
0: Pray for us. Pope Benedict the Sixteenth. <laughs>
1: Pray for us.
0: Pray for us. Wait, Uh, he's not dead. He's not dead. (laughs)
2: Sorry.
1: That's okay. He (laughs) listens to the podcast, so he will pray for us. (laughs) There's no doubt. (laughs) I I get email from him just like every every other week.
0: You are not forwarding it.
1: He's like, you "You know, know I love him. I I don't know if I agree with your interpretation of Harry Potter is what he wrote last time.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, he loved what we said about Rosemary's Baby yeah, and
1: the Exorcist. That's so it. I feel like we're on the right track. Excellent. <laughs> oh, poor Pope Benedict. It. Sorry,
0: oh, but yes. I love you so much. Oh.
1: <laughs> me too. Me too. Okay. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Well, it's great.
0: <laughs> okay. You oh, can tell it's late. We've gotten goofy fun. now. <laughs> I love it.
1: <laughs> All right. So let's see what is next for us. Miss oh. Buncey, Bunkles, not Buncy Miss Buncles' book. <laughs> Miss Bunsen's by burner. E or Stevenson. <laughs> you bet. Excellent. Okay.
0: Yes. yes. Very light, totally different. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we won't go for four or five hours or whatever we talk tonight on this. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll be good.
1: Uh, excellent. All right. Okay. Well, thanks for listening, everyone.
0: <laughs> oh, yes. Thank you so much. And we'll talk to you
1: mm-hmm. again soon. Take care. Bye-bye.
2: Bye bye. Bye.